A word of warning before we start. This episode discusses mental health and suicide. You may skip this episode if the topics are unsuitable for you or those you are with. In 2017, the American hip-hop artist Logic released a song, 1-800-273-8255, which was the phone number for the US Lifeline. The song has a powerful message of hope, perseverance, and optimism for life. Suicide results in more than 700,000 deaths annually, according to the World Health Organization. The Austrian public health scientist Thomas Nieder Krosenthaler and his research team were intrigued by the suicide prevention message of the song. In 2021, they published a study in the British Medical Journal, which explored whether there was an association between the release of the song and calls to Lifeline. In today's episode, Thomas shares how positive stories have a role in suicide prevention. He also shares how Logic's 1-800 song led to an increase in calls to Lifeline. Thomas, you've done a lot of work in suicide prevention, in public health. Also, it's interrelation with the media. What is the role of the media in responsible suicide prevention? I think there are many different roles and media is an essential tool in suicide prevention. And we are still in the process, the international research community and prevention community to learn what those roles of the media are in suicide prevention. What has been known in our field for quite some time is that some media depictions of suicide, normally these are depictions of suicide death and of suicidal behavior, are related to subsequent increases in suicides called the Werther effect. Going back to Goethe's novel, The Sorrows of the Young Werther, main character dies from suicide, he's suffering from lovesickness and then killing himself. There are historical sources that after the publication of this book, which was published in 1700-something, there were additional suicides by young men who had similar clothes on, like were the book near their suicide sites. That was really the start of thinking about this phenomenon. Then it was in the 1960s, 1970s, when the first studies came out that showed that modern media portrayals, that was the seminal work in this topic area published in 1974, these items, these media items were related to subsequent increases in suicides. Today we have really 170 studies analyzing this phenomenon and many of them have found similar increases of suicides after the portrayal of suicide deaths. We did a meta-analysis in 2020. A meta-analysis is a review of all of the work that is available in a specific area. We looked at all the work that is available and we combined the data from the different studies. And what we found really was after the publication of a celebrity suicide death, there was an increase in suicides amounting to about 13% in the two months after the reporting. This is really quite a significant number. 
And this is why we are recommending media guidelines for the reporting on suicides. These media guidelines include recommendations for media professionals on how to portray suicide safely without triggering any copycat effects or imitation effects, the certain effects. The focus in the reporting should not be placed on the suicide method, not on the suicidal act. There shouldn't be any monotrail, so saying they were divorced, that's why he or she killed herself, but depression leads to suicide. All of these factors are indeed risk factors for suicide, but there is really no single factor that can explain suicide. We know that about 20% of our population here in Europe, it's probably very similar in Australia, suffers from depression, gets a diagnosis of depression at one point of their lives, but only a tiny minority, fortunately, is dying from suicide. This is why a depression, but even any other risk factor can never explain suicide as a single factor. It's really risky to portray it as a monocausal event because then many people who have similar problems identify with the portrayal and it might normalize suicide as a normal way of coping with adversities. This is why media recommendations recommend not to do that, but really to portray the complexity of suicide, which is quite evident from studies and also from clinical work with suicidal individuals. What we have, however, not known for a very long time is if media also play a positive role in suicide prevention. This stream of research really dates back only until 2010 and the last years. We wanted to know there are so many media items on suicide. Obviously, not all of them trigger additional suicide. So what are really those media items that do have this harmful impact? For that purpose, we collected all media reports here in Austria. We did a content analysis to see what the specific content of the different media items was. We did a statistical analysis to see how each of these reports were associated with suicide. And what we found was really a confirmation of the word effects. We found that sensationalist reports about suicides, which feature suicide methods and suicidal behavior, but do not really provide strong alternatives to suicide, they were associated with an increase in suicides. We also found that about 70% of all items were not related to subsequent increases in suicides at all. This is also very helpful from a prevention perspective because it shows that it is indeed possible to speak about suicide in the media without having any harmful impacts. These media items typically did not feature the suicidal act or the suicidal death. They were rather focused on the lives of that individual who died from suicide. What did they do? How did they co contribute to culture, to the arts, to the society? They were more written in an obituary style, you would say. 
Those items, they were not associated with suicides. That's clearly showing how it's possible to speak about suicide in a classic medium like print media broadcast, TV broadcast radio. Then, and that was really a surprising finding to us, there was the third class of articles of media items. Those media items did not feature suicidal behavior. They featured really the coping process of individuals with their psychosocial crisis, with, which sometimes included suicidal thoughts and feelings. They were really about individuals who were in a deep crisis, but they managed to cope with that crisis. They were about people bereaved from suicide who shared stories how they have coped or how they are dealing with losing a loved one to suicide. All of them were really not items about suicide, they were much more items about how to cope with adversity. For this class of media items, we found that there was really a decrease in suicide subsequently. That was really the very first finding indicating this phenomenon, which we call now the Papacino effect. It's a historical, fictional figure, and it goes back to Mozart's opera, The Magic Flute. It's probably the best-known opera in the world. The main character in Mozart's opera, Papacino, he becomes suicidal at one point when he fears that he has lost or doesn't get his love, Papacino. And then he prepares everything for his suicide in the opera. But then, in the last second before his suicide, three boys jump onto the stage and shout, Papacino, don't do it. Remember, you just have one life. Don't throw it away like that. Use your magic bells, whatever that is, and she will come back. That's what Papacino does. And indeed, Ina comes back and the story has a very positive ending. Psychologically speaking, what these three boys do, they really provide suicide prevention. We were thinking, what's the best case a media item might do with someone who is considering suicide, who is in a crisis? It might remind them what else they can do then dying from suicide when they are in a crisis. And that's exactly what these three boys do. They remind Papacino what other opportunities he has in order to cope with his problems. Now, the problem with all of these studies is that they are really assessing suicides before a media portrayal and comparing the suicides to suicides after the portrayal. There is, obviously, there are increases, decreases in suicides, but we can never establish causality. And that's very important from a research point of view. If a finding can really establish causality, is it possible to say these media items really prevented suicide? They were causal or was it only an association, as we call it? Now, all of these studies are associations. They show that there might be something in this association which warrants the investigation, but they do not prove that this is a causal effect. What we need really to address this is experimental studies. That means 
It's important to show specific items to audiences, then to see what their immediate and over a longer term period, what their reactions are to the media item. That's actually what we did in recent years. We did several randomized controlled trials. By the way, also in Australia, these studies actually also indicate that there is this positive effect. Stories of hope and recovery can reduce suicidal thoughts and feelings, particularly among audiences that have some vulnerability to suicide. That means that they are having suicidal thoughts and if they read or watch a story about coping and recovery, there is a small but significant decrease in suicidal ideation. And that's really important from the prevention point of view because it really shows that there seems to be a small but significant effect of such stories on individuals. Is there research that suggests if there's any difference between the Werther effect and the Papageno effect in the news versus in entertainment, such as movies and TV shows? That's a great, Jared. Obviously, most of the research has been done for news media. That applies both to the Werther effect and to the Papagino effect. Most of the studies really looked at news items, like items about celebrity suicides, or items about celebrities who have considered suicide, but then took a different sort of action, which might be indicative of a Papagino story or uh, a Papagino effect. Most of the evidence really comes from news media, but we did a meta-analysis also about suicide in fictional media, like entertainment media. Did this with Matt Spittel and others. We found really that there was an increase in suicides after the portrayal of fictional suicide, but only in more modern studies there was such effect. In the older studies, there was no effect. It's really more research is needed to see why that is. But what we can really say is that the mode of media consumption has changed dramatically. In recent years, we really found the harmful effect for streaming services, specifically for one series, 13 Reasons Why, which was season one was released in 2017 by Netflix. There was a lot of concern from the beginning on because there was a very graphic suicide and it was her help seeking. She was trying to get help for her suicidal thoughts, but actually it was portrayed as totally futile, even counterproductive help seeking in that series. And it's obviously a very dangerous message to young people who might be in a crisis. There was a lot of concern from the beginning on. There's such a delay between the occurrence of suicide and the publication of suicide data. It took about two years more to really do the analysis. And what we found is that there was indeed an increase in suicides after this fictional portrayal. There are actually studies from different regions. There's one from Canada, which shows the same thing. Then there are studies looking at suicide attempt, not suicide, which are also mainly showing the same thing. There is some evidence for fictional portrayals to trigger additional suicides as well. Now, the really important question to us is, I mentioned earlier, Jared, that you need those randomized controlled trials really 
to establish causality. We've done that for the Bappuccino effect, for the, for the positive side of media effects on, on suicidal thoughts and feelings. But when it comes to those large effects on behavior across the population, this is typically done with those association studies, like 13 Reasons Why or the initial study from the 1970s looking at suicide rates before and after the publication of suicide stories. But the problem here is that the population, and that applies to our population here, it certainly applies also to the Australian population and to actually to many countries across the globe. We are constantly exposed to suicide stories. For example, whenever there is a celebrity suicide, there's a lot of reporting over a longer period of time. All of the media are reporting about it. And then what we typically find is this increase in suicides in the population. With the positive side of things, the Papacino effect, it's a bit different because there's rarely a story about coping and hope and recovery which reaches really a large number of people. You can find such stories everywhere. You find them in the community, in each family, in, in each setting, there are stories of hope and recovery. Everyone knows them because they are just a, a very normal part of life, coping with adversity and also with suicidal thoughts. But they are rarely featured in the media to an extent to reach a large number of people. So you have to find, you can find them online, you can find them in different media, but it's typically a smaller exposure. And that means that it's really hard to detect behavioral difference in terms of suicide or help seeking after those positive portrayals because they just do not reach a sufficient number of people. That's a real problem because obviously what the most important outcome is not a reduction in suicidal thoughts, but really a reduction in suicides. And there is now one exception to that, to that. And that's really from entertainment media. It's about the song, actually. And I think, Jared, we discussed this briefly before we started the podcast. It's the song from US hip hop artist Logic. Logic released a song called 1-800-273-8255, which was for a very long time the telephone number of the U.S. Lifeline, the National Crisis Intervention Number for Suicide Prevention. And in that song, the song features a young man who is bullied for being gay. And he is really preparing for his suicides, but then in the last minute before his suicide he grabs the phone and calls the lifeline and that's really marking the turning point towards improvement for him so this is a really a classical story of hope and recovery and this song really reached a large audience over a very long period of time for several weeks it was in the top three of the hot 100 charts in the united states it was also featured at the MTV Music Awards. Logic performed the song with 50 plus suicide attempt survivors and suicide loss survivors. And then it was again featured at the Grammy Awards. So there were a lot of media events around that song and around that message. And 
The message really reached many more people than stories of hope and recovery typically do. So that was really an opportunity for us in suicide research to look into if such a fictional entertainment portrayal of coping with suicide, it's really not about suicide, but coping with suicidal thoughts, if that can really reduce suicides and increase help-seeking from the lifeline across the whole population. We did a study to look into that. We published this in 2020. So what did we actually do? We collected data about suicides and calls to the lifeline in the United States. And we then collected information on when the song was really discussed in social media because our thinking was when the, there's a strong discussion in social media like Twitter, then there's really a strong exposure of the population. We found that this was really for about 30 something days, 34 days, there was really a lot of discussion about that song. That was mainly during, immediately after the release of the song. Then there was another period, short, longer period, a four-week period around the MTV Music Awards. There was a lot of discussion then about his performance with 50-plus suicide attempt survivors and, and lost survivors. And again at the Grammy Awards. And we said if this story can have an impact, then you should actually see a decrease in suicides, or at least no increase if it's a safe way of portraying a thought. And you would say an increase in cause, and that's actually what we found. So what we found was really there was an increase of more than 9,900 9, additional calls to the US lifeline. That's about 6.9% more than would be expected. So this analysis obviously accounted for trends. There's an increase in calls over time. So we controlled for that. We also controlled for seasonality and those things. So there was really additional, nearly 10,000 additional calls to the lifeline. And at the, during the same period, there was a drop in suicides of 5.5%. This means that there were about 245 fewer suicides than would have been expected. And now, from the suicide prevention perspective, that's a really encouraging message because it shows that you can really promote a suicide prevention service with a well-defined narrative of hope and recovery, like in the Logic song. And it's actually very effective to, to do this with an entertainment media. With, and it also shows, of course, that these portrayals might help reduce suicides. And uh, so, what, so in a nutshell, this was really a prevention message of a very different kind than what we are used to. First, it was a song. It was not delivered as a lecture from an expert. And then it was really featuring a person with suicidal thoughts and feelings who managed to cope with their crisis. This was a really a rare example and of a story of hope that reaches a huge audience. It really shows how important it is for us in suicide prevention to work with the arts and with artists and also to collaborate with entertainment media in order to end with people who have lived experience of suicidal thoughts and feelings to work together in order to create messages and distribute messages that resonate well 
with different audiences and that can have a positive impact on suicidal thoughts and help CT. Logic song really shows the Papageno effect in the real world. Exactly. That's the big difference from the experimental studies. They are actually, all of them are laboratory stories. They are not taking place in the real world. The Logic song really, that's an example of, of something that really took place and manifested in the real world. That's so important because obviously the song reaches very different. Hip hop, it's the most popular music genre in the United States up until the mid age ranges. So many of the individuals listening to hip hop music might not listen to a mental health expert like me, but they do listen to hip hop songs. It's extremely important to have this real life exposure and experience and to look into these associations. Was it possible to know how much the music video and the live performances had on suicide preventions? We are not able to really disentangle the different components. However, the effect was really there during the period of his performances. Most of the effect was really around the MTV Music Awards. The very strong thing about this performance was really that he performed with 50 plus suicide attempt survivors on stage. There was a very clear message that suicide is a problem, but there is also hope. It's possible to cope with suicidal thoughts and to cope with loss to suicide. That was really a very strong message linked to the song. Unfortunately, it's not possible to really disentangle if it was the song per se or if it was the message surrounding the song. But the interesting thing here, Jared, is that also applies to the opposite side of things. If you have, for example, a celebrity suicide and there are reports about the suicide, some of the reports might feature the suicide method of the person who died, but others might give some background information on how to get help. But what we find in this bubble, I call it a bubble because it's all combined. You have the celebrity suicide and then you have some educative information, but a lot of potentially triggering information as well, like triggering further suicidal thoughts. And within that bubble, we often see increases in suicides. It's actually like a cycle, a specific narrative, a specific message triggering some additional media portrayals which are related, but which are not the same. And the same applies to this story of hope. Like this, there's this story within the song, which is a story of hope and recovery and the portrayal. So the, the media events around surrounding that song, they are also about hope and recovery. So it's actually quite a consistent bubble, if you want to call it like that as well, a bubble of hope and recovery. And that, the combination of all of that, that seems to create that positive effect. But obviously it would be really interesting to see if it's the song, it's the video, or if it's the, the events that were related, but not identical to the song. But we are not really able to disentangle those effects. 
But what I can say is really that this effect was strongest around the MTV Music Awards. So it seems plausible to assume that this was really a major contributor to the positive effect. Oh, what was really interesting about Logic's 1-800 song was that it was released the same year as the 13 Reasons Why debut. In your 2021 British Medical Journal study on Logic Song, how did you consider the confounding event of 13 Reasons Why Season 1? Yeah, you're totally right, Sherrod. So it's really difficult to assess associations if you do not think about other competing events that might occur at the very same time. And actually, there have been a lot of uh, several such events during the period where Logic Song was really in the media. And the, one of the most important ones you mentioned was certain reasons why. And tried to control for that. We also collected information on any celebrity suicides that occurred during that period. It's very important to consider this event. There was also a National Suicide Prevention Week, which includes World Suicide Prevention Day, where you get a lot of preventive information that might do good deed control for these things. So we, whenever there was an event, we tried to include a variable for this event. And actually, we found some indication of replicating these things, like there was an additional suicides for calculated for certain reasons why within our model. Yep, you're right. It's very important to control for such external events within these studies. Was it the 13 Reasons Why TV series or was it the Logic Song that had the greater effect in 2017? The effect of the Logic Song on calls, you can say that was really a very strong effect. It was really 10,000 additional calls. That's quite, quite the number. When it comes to suicide deaths, it was still important. 245 fewer suicides than expected, about 5.5%, but it was rather small. When it comes to certain reasons why and celebrity suicides, this was an increase of about 13% on average is more than 5.5% in the other direction. Basically, in a nutshell, you can say that these media effects seem to be small to medium-sized. And now the question is, why are they not exactly the same size? And a lot of that might relate to the exposure. If you have certain reasons why there were really many more tweets about certain reasons why than about the logic song. For a story of hope and recovery, there was a lot of tweeting on the logic song. But if you compare it to other portrayals, like 13 Reasons Why, it was still much less than that. So this might also explain why there are some differences in effect sizes. But overall, what we also find from the experimental studies is that effect sizes are rather small. However, this applies to the entire field of suicide prevention. If you consider, for example, other factors like economic crisis, and there's very good evidence in suicide prevention that unemployment economy is related to suicides. When you have more unemployment, there is typically more suicides. That's also a bit different depending on the social insurance system in the country. There have been a lot of studies about that, but if you look at the economic crisis from 2008, there was a 
smaller increase in suicide subsequently as compared to the increase that we see after a report on a celebrity suicide. It's a small attack size overall, but still it's a very important difference. And that's important to keep on our minds. And I think if we had more stories on hope and recovery that reach a large number of people, then we might see a lot, a lot more of those effects and also stronger effects. And what we can do in our studies is really only looking at the tip of an iceberg. There might be a lot of effects, for example, from people looking for self-help literature. Much of the self-help literature covers stories of hope and recovery. Now, hope and recovery, recovery not only from suicidal thoughts, but really recovery from serious life situations on a more general level. And right now we try to assess if such general stories of hope, which do not necessarily really include suicidal thoughts, might be just people who are really in a difficult situation and finding ways to cope if they are also related to a fewer suicides. And there's a lot of those stories out there, but there are still, in spite of the research we do and some of our colleagues do, actually in Melbourne, there's a lot of good research going on, as I've mentioned, but there's not so much overall. There, there's much replication work also needed in other countries, other countries in Austria and Australia. And so much more work to do here. It's fascinating seeing these non-traditional mental health interventions. So rather than having, say, things like cognitive behavioral therapy or pharmacology, you've got things like music or even a recent study in the US, which is men going into barbershops and speaking to their barber. That's fascinating. So the study that you published, you and your colleagues published, was in 2021. What advanced did research have there been since then? You mentioned cognitive behavioral therapy. Of course, there are different areas in suicide prevention. There are a lot of social, psychosocial things that need to be considered and that might be really relevant for suicide prevention. This is just an example, stories of hope and recovery. But we are, what we are really trying to look into now is if it's actually possible to combine approaches like now we know that some media portrayals of coping appear to have positive effect. Then we know that cognitive behavioral therapy sometimes help, helps people with coping. So maybe we can, can combine those things like using media portrayals within cognitive behavioral therapy and see if that really makes the effect stronger. And actually, a very good colleague of mine, you might want to have it in another podcast, Jaris. He's based in Toronto, in Canada, and he has developed a curriculum about Harry Potter, the Harry Potter curriculum, which is delivered in schools, and it features the story of Harry Potter. And if you think about Harry Potter, it's really also a story of coping with different sorts of adversities. It's not really about suicidal thoughts, but it's really about coping. And what this curriculum does, it, it helps students reflect on what Harry Potter does in order to cope and what they themselves can do to cope if they have difficulties. So it's really a combination of a media portrayal. In that case, it's again a fictional portrayal, Harry Potter. 
and cognitive behavioral therapeutic aspects in a school setting. And so there are analysis going on to look if this can produce an even larger effect on positive effects in suicidal thoughts. And there is first evidence which has already been published now, which indicates that this does have a positive impact on young people. And similarly, we mentioned the Logic song, which is a hip-hop song. Now, our question has been recently, if people do hip-hop themselves, and there are apps people can use to do hip-hop, maybe if they if they rap about coping, that might have a positive impact on them. So it's again a combination like having some therapeutic aspect to it, but also using the media again as a tool. Again, it's a combination. And what we try to do in the future is to see if these kinds of interventions can really reduce suicide and what kind of effects they have. If we go forward, we really want to know more about which messages work best for which groups of people and at which point of time, because there is no one-size-fits-all approach. Not everyone likes hip-hop music, not every young person reads Harry Potter. So we need different approaches, we need different stories, and we need to see what, how people feel about those stories and how, what's the effect on suicidal thoughts, but also on help-seeking intentions and help-seeking. And the other thing is we want to combine approaches, like, for example, as you've mentioned, the cognitive behavioral aspects with the media aspects and see if combining can create an even larger and stronger effect than found for the individual approaches. He was thinking about multiple interventions, people entering relationships, very supportive relationships and reaching out to people, which was similar to the character in the music video. There are many different ways how people cope with suicidal thoughts. Obviously, one of the important routes is to get professional help from different sources, like, for example, from the Lifeline. And what we really found is that strong increasing calls to the Lifeline, which makes a lot of sense because the song title features the former Lifeline number. At that time, it's now a three-digit number, but at that time it was still that long number, that long 1-800 number. But what we can really not say is if those people who did not die by suicide were actually those people who did call the lifeline. There are no data that we can use to look into that. But what we know is really that different sorts of portrayal can really trigger different sorts of coping behaviors. It's not only about getting professional help. It's also about waiting. It's getting more time is a very important factor in suicide prevention because something else might happen that can still prevent suicide. There might be some discussion with a loved one or with someone and there's been a conflict. Different sorts of things people can do. For example, in the video, love is a very important aspect. Obviously, the person falls in love later on, and that's a very strong component in how his life improved. There are really different ways of how to cope. 
and how to feature stories of hope and recovery. Like, I believe on YouTube, it's reached well over 400 million views. How did you become aware of the song? It was more a coincidence because I'm not typically listening to hip-hop music. Now I do, obviously. But I have not in 2017 when the song was released. It was also much better known in the United States as compared to here. But we had a collaboration with the US Lifeline, which was already about suicide messaging and how to improve messaging for suicide prevention. During one of our calls, it was more of a coincidence when John Draper mentioned that song. And actually, the, the song had a preventive message. Then we thought we have to look into that song. We found that it was truly a classical story of hope and recovery. There was this great opportunity to get those data about calls and also about suicides. We said that's now our opportunity to, to really look into if such a portrayal, a fictional portrayal, it's really totally fictional. If it's really rolled out across the population and there's a lot of exposure to it over a sustained period of time, if that can have an effect, that's what we did. It took a lot of time for us to even know that this song was out and that there was that opportunity. What are the future implications of music and particularly logic song on mental health on the wider society and future generations. I think what we can really take home from the logic song experience is that we really need to work together for suicide prevention. It's really not medical field primarily, it's not only, it's really many professional groups in suicide prevention. We had that motto suicide prevention is everyone's business. That's really getting down to what it is. It means that we need to collaborate. That's also what it means for the future, I think. Media are changing dramatically. There are innovations every year when it comes to how media are delivered and what kind of social media are actually those that are used by young people, but also older people start to use social media. It's really changing how people use media. There are different tastes out there, different preferences for different sorts of music. The arts often have always featured suicide. They always did. You can go back as long as you want. There's a lot of suicide portrayals in the arts because the subject has always been important to humans. There is also a lot of stories of recovery. For us in prevention, I think it's really a very important message that we have to collaborate. That means collaboration with artists, with entertainment media, but also with people who have personal experiences of suicidal thoughts. As we've discussed, Jared, that song really features an individual. It's a fictional person, but it's an individual. We found in studies that it's more easy to identify with someone who is affected by, for example, by having suicidal thoughts. It's much more easy to identify with such a person as compared to identifying with an expert. We found that the effect was stronger if the more the participants identified with the portrayed character. 
that might also have been an important part in the harmful side of things, like certain reasons why those parts of the audience who identified most with the suicidal character had the most detrimental outcomes. It's really about how we can produce and deliver messages that resonate well with different audiences. I think that's what we can learn also for the future. It's really seeing the arts as an ally in public health. Exactly, exactly. That's what it is. It's extremely important for health on a much more broader level. Yeah. You sound incredibly enthusiastic about the work that you do. What motivates you to do this work? It's a very, very gratifying, interesting work. I think it involves many different sorts of people, different sorts of professional groups now. I'm working here at the Medical University and all of my colleagues say, Thomas, your subject might be really difficult, but it's really great that everyone has to say something about suicide. Really, if you work in a field like biology, many people in your environment might say, I don't know anything about it. It's really different when it comes to suicide. Why is that? Because suicide is really about life and about how to make life bearable and how to make life as good as possible. It's really an interesting work and that's one of the main motivations for me to be in this field. Of course, there are so many great colleagues out there. Many of them are based in Melbourne. That's another really important fact. Had Dr. Stathia Ravilla, who's the pediatric ophthalmologist from Aravind Eye Care. They run one of the largest eye hospitals in the world, which was inspired by the efficiency of McDonald's. I was asking why she really enjoys what she does. It's because it's you're not just helping people survive, you're also helping them flourish, really enjoy life. You're not just surviving anymore, but you get to really enjoy life. My question for you is, what does living healthier today mean to you, Thomas? I think it's really important to know, and that really relates to the research we have discussed, that a lot of things spread across communities and across settings. Now, when we started our podcast today, we discussed how suicide can spread. It's obviously something that has been for a very long time. But what we really start to learn more about is that also hope can spread. Recovery and positive messages can spread. How we communicate about things and what we put out into the world seems to spread. Some of that might even have a very important behavioral impact on ourselves, but also on others. For example, a colleague of mine, Stephanie Kirchner, is doing a study about what sharing stories of hope and recovery does to those sharing the stories. There are a lot of benefits on that side as well. I think it's really important to know, it's also very satisfying to know that not only harmful things spread, but also positive things can spread across communities. That's fascinating that sharing these stories of hope, positivity, have benefits not only on the people receiving it, but also on the person 
or potentially, because I believe your colleagues still in the study still. Exactly. Yeah, that's fascinating. I want you to imagine, Thomas, that you are in a room with your 18-year-old self. What would you tell them? I would say now, again, thinking about what we have discussed in this podcast is really take care what kind of information, what kind of messages you get from your social environment, because that's including media, that's including also social settings more broadly, like family and friends. Take care about what kind of information you attract. For media use, that might mean to really care about what kind of programs you would select. We know that a lot of news coverage is sometimes creating really negative mental health states among people. The other thing is also take care about what kind of messages you put out to the world. If it's really about repeating negative messages all the time, then it will create more of those messages most likely. It's a really profound answer for your 18-year-old self. To really focus on the type of information that you wanted to absorb, positive information that will have positive effect on mental health. It's really important to have the kind of media literacy which makes you conscious about what kind of messages to select and when to say stop, I won't say the news again, I've already watched them 10 times today, so why should I do it 11 times if they are always negative? Having this kind of conscious approach to messages, receiving and getting out messages, I think that's really helpful for mental health on a very broad level. You mentioned like listening to hip-hop now. What were you listening to before? I'm quite broad when it comes to musical taste. So, of course, like most of my Austrian fellows, I started with classical music. And I still enjoy classical music. The Magic Flute, for example, I've seen it just two weeks ago in our opera house here in Vienna again. And I was really, it was really nice to see Papacino coping with his crisis. So that's classical music. There's also electronic music that I like. There's, there's also pop music I like. Sometimes even folk music. Yeah. So that's the main stuff that I'm listening to. Music is really big over in Europe. You've got one of the biggest song competitions in the world, Eurovision. The Eurovision Song Contest, yes, of <laughs> course. And it's great to see Australia being part of it for some years already. <laughs> Good luck. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so we're coming towards the end of podcast. Lastly, do you have any questions to me? This could be anything be about the logistics of the podcast it could be anything about me your call I would be interested in what's your motivation to do this podcast and maybe what are you doing to distribute those podcasts what motivates me when I was a master of public health student in 2014 one of the things that I learned was If you want to empower people to live healthier lives, one of the ways you can do it is through the media. Now, I wasn't a journalist, but I knew that I could do this through a blog and then some years later through a podcast. It was 
really enjoyable for me, but then I found out that it was having a huge impact for other people. Like that, that study that your colleague's doing, you're doing something for yourself, but it also has something positive for other people. found out that by telling these stories, people can grasp these life lessons that they can incorporate into their lives. It's not so much health advice anymore, it's about these life lessons. You're hearing about these positive situations people have gone through, how they've dealt with it, using that as an archetype for how people can get through difficult things in life. It's also a great way to just get to know fellow human beings. Great. Thank you, Jared. Enjoy the rest of your morning. Yes, and you enjoy the rest of your evening. Thank you, Jared. See you. Mental health crisis support is available at 988lifeline.org for those in the US, lifeline.org.au for those in Australia, or giveusashout.org for those in the UK. I'm your host, Jared Talabera, and you've been listening to the Healthy Today podcast.